Thank you, thank you. And I can't sit still, so I'm staying down here. And they say I don't have a phone with you either. But uh, show of hands, just so I know, uh, how many people were in any of the previous presentations I did the last couple of days? All right. Oh, my people are back. <laughs> All right. That tells me something. You came back. Um, so today we're going to really talk about muscle relaxants. And I'm probably going to need one at the end of this presentation because all I'm going to do is this a million and one times. Um, don't get confused with the actual the keynote speech the other night, uh, Wednesday night, I believe, because it's mistaken identity. Again, this is a totally different thing. Um, but one of my first questions for the 40-ish percent of you that did not raise your hand is, who is this guy? Uh, we all have everyone in here has their multiple page CV and all that. But uh, if I had to describe it, the, uh, we've got a family of eight pharmacists, including even a guy over in Italy. doesn't practice anymore, actually, but I'm counting them because it's Italy. Uh, we also, and uh, one of them is actually like five feet from me, my father-in-law. So we keep, keep uh, this is a guy's week, stereotypical guy's week in Vegas, right? That's how we do it. We did go to Fremont Street, and we're going to church tonight because of that. Um, <laughs> first part of that sentence is absolutely correct. Anyways... Um, we also got a vineyard over in, in Italy, so if this drug thing didn't work out, that's what I'd be doing. Uh, speaking of that, that is future doctor, pope, wine dealer, whatever. That's Luke. That's my two-year-old. And also, of course, the brains of the operation, my beautiful wife, Gretchen. Mrs. Dr. Girl, if you will. And here we've got some genetics. This is not pharmacogenetics. Um, those of you who saw all their pictures, I try and change up the pictures at least. Check out their feet. This is genetics in action. Uh, guys won't go anywhere without their socks. The ladies are all barefoot. I don't know what it is, but uh, that's how they do it on our front porch, I guess. Uh, apparently, I have to tell you that I had some fun and got to chat with uh, a couple other pain experts across the country at random advisory boards. They're, they're a blast, honestly. Uh, and I also have to tell you that anything that comes out of my mouth or is on my screen is apparently not the voice of West Virginia University, because why in the world would you think that? Learning objectives, we're going to go over uh, diagnoses and also treatments, especially related to muscle relaxants in general. But my main thing, what, I really, what, what really gets me going is pain management. So I think we're in the right place. <laughs> but let's think about this in the big picture as far as what's in our tool belt. Um, you know, us as clinicians uh, or even research or whatever, or even the lay public. You know, a lot of our patients actually come to this meeting every year, and I find that phenomenal because we don't see that at many other conferences. Uh, what do we utilize for our patients? Uh, you know, the tool belt goes, goes on and on. Uh, you'll hear me, hear me harp all the time about there's a lot of different pharmacological options, being strategic about it. Those of you that don't have a flight later and are sticking around, go a little farther into that with the pain management ground zero for the uh, ending of pain week later on today. But today, we're in the quote-unquote adjuvant class of medications, if you will. It in itself is the, that extra little bag of wonder in our tool belt uh, for pain management overall. But as far as the adjuvants, they go a mile deep as well too, as you already know in many presentations by many amazing speakers this week, going over each individual one here, we're going to talk about these muscle relaxants today. So the way that I like to look at it is a wonderful book that I'm sure we all had to read back when we were like four foot high. Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That's how I would go about describing muscle relaxants. There's good parts, there's bad parts, but it's what we do as clinicians. That's pretty much every medication. So really it's a tale of two cities, spasticity and spasm. So that's a little bit of the background for today. 
big picture, before we get technical, let's just kind of calibrate our minds here today for what the heck is the difference? Um, you know, we, we know the technicalities of the upper motor neuron things compared to out in the periphery, and we can go on and on for that. But really, what's the difference for my patient who's standing in front of me? And what it boils down to for them is, it, is the muscle stiff or is it going crazy in Vegas? Bottom line. So to just think about that, what other conditions can exhibit that? Of course, on the side of the stiffness, tetanus, Charlie horses, MS, the entire condition, of course. Flip the coin over to something like rabies with that actual shaking, if you will. Where I'm headed with that is just this, uh, hopefully for your reference, even created this thing, to just go over the, what's the differences here? In the end, diagnosis is ultimately important, but then, of course, what do we do for treatment? Um, and what's the differential diagnosis, really? Uh, and many a times, I actually saw a talk here about two years ago, Dr. Glick, he's like my hero. He did a talk in this room, actually, on that stage, and it was on physical exams. And he actually showed, uh, you know, different ways of learning, visual, this, that, these, and those. And he had a, a person, a participant, come up and do a physical exam on them. And he showed, not only on the slides, but also on that person, a muscle that was twitching as compared to stiff. That's really going to help us if you're thinking down towards the bottom here for the FDA-approved medicines for what's going on with our patient. Now, how many people are pharmacists? And we're on the pharmacological track, so I wasn't ready for that one. I thought every hand was going to go up. <laughs> and I love that because I actually go to all the other stuff, too, when I'm sitting in the crowd, usually. Um, but, you know, we're notorious for going, oh, what's FDA approved and concentrating on the medicine. But here today, thank goodness for our audience, concentrate at all times, no matter what I'm talking about for the medicines, concentrate on the diagnosis initially. We'll give you a case at the end that, that might get you really thinking, or I hope so, anyway. So, just breaking it down, a little bit different visual here of, of what's what. Uh, as far as the spasticity, again, in a very, very generalized way of thinking, thinking that stiffness, you got your central acting and your peripheral acting. And we're not going to go over every one of, every one of these. I actually had a wonderful uh, question, comment, even before the presentation started on, hey, saw the slides there. Don't look ahead. But I saw the slides. We're not going to go over benzos that much. We're not going to go over botulism tox and the four different types of that, not just Botox. We're not going to go. We're going the route of the muscle relaxants as we already started chatting here today. But then also these guys, these beers list medications, if you will, over on the right. Um, that guy's name was Mark, too. I love it. Uh, anyway. We're going to go over these individually and then try and take a look at the big picture as well. But again, I, I'm a pharmacist, so I'm going to harp about all these little intricacies about the medications, but keep in mind what's going on with the patient the whole time, in case I forget to mention it. A little bit of a diagram here, just going over where in the world these medications or these treatments, if you will, are working. Uh, nothing new here. You might not have seen this particular picture, but honestly, nothing new to pain week, of course. We're just talking about central. I apologize to you guys over there. There's just less of you right now, but more filtering in. Um, as far as peripheral muscle towards the left in the picture, and then in the center with uh, centralized, of course. So we're going to go over muscle relaxants today. So let's start with the muscle relaxer. Uh, how many people have seen dantrolene prescribed, dispensed, or utilized, or anything other than in a book? Two guys. Four. Ah, look around, Marco. Uh, so four guys. Uh, out of all of us here. There's hundreds of us here today. Uh, and this is where I start my harping, this, this island of medicines, this whatever, but this is your muscle relaxer. 
Uh, there's other talks that happened earlier this week that kind of went into what's the deal with this thing. It's centrally acting. Uh, I did actually find a decent uh, ref a description of how this thing's working actually in the periphery. So it comes down to, if you look down towards the reddish on the right in the picture, this rhinodyne channel. And please do not confuse, it involves uh, calcium, if you will. But please do not confuse that with something like diltiazem that would act on the actual external calcium channel. Totally different thing here, but this rhinodyne channel is reportedly, I like to give answers, but when it's not 100% real news, well, I'll throw that out there too. But reportedly, the, most of the uh, science that's out there now is basically pointing to this rhinodyne channel. It doesn't necessarily tell us exactly everything we need to know, uh, but there is a difference between that and normal, if you will, reference calcium channel. So you're thinking nantrolene, I mean phenytoin. Everybody's heard of that medication. We're going to talk a lot today on structural relationships of just what the things look like. And I'm definitely no med chemist, and I'm not a structure guy, but some of these are just basic, so we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit. We're trying to make it to say like where this is going into your practice to help your patients, really. So, dantrolene, the only real muscle relaxant. No quotes needed. Stop that. <laughs> I almost did it even when I shouldn't. So, if this were to be utilized, which it is not often, as per our random survey here, uh, things you need to worry about. Uh, some obvious things because it's a muscle relaxant, so not going there. But diarrhea would be a very dose limiting effect and you'd be worried about that at higher doses of it and we're not going to go into the specifics because there was only four hands that were raised uh, but one thing would also be the infamous black box warning I sometimes wonder why all of a sudden a black box is how we say this is the really important stuff what is it about that box that stops me from talking <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't get it um, I think sometimes I think too much outside of healthcare but anyways I digress. So the black box warning for dantrolene is the hepatotoxicity. It's also just like the diarrhea uh, side effect associated with higher doses. Uh, like any medication or quite frankly substance, in the case we were around for thug drugs yesterday when we had a blast, it's all about the dose. No matter what in the world we give our patients, it's all about the dose. So not huge worries there necessarily, but definitely monitor the LFTs along the way. As far as uh, just a couple products that are out there, but there are oral products. Each of these uh, individual medicines, what I want to do is just to give you the heads up on what's actually available. Uh, approved, yes, but also on the market. So we've got injections, of course, probably more popular for the four that raise the hands. And then uh, capsules along the way, too. So I'm done. That's our muscle relaxers. <laughs> Q&A, anybody? Uh, I'm sure you saw the slides. We got much, much more. Uh, this is how I would talk about everything else. Uh, call it pictures, call it whatever. I, I, I'm not going to pull everybody. If you've seen that uh, the infamous Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer holiday thing, heads are going, the claymation spectacular. Just bought it digital because trying to stay young and cool uh, from a kid. <laughs> but they have the island of misfit toys. What I would say is basically these muscle relaxants, it's the island of misfit medications. What in the world are they? Let's get into that. First one, this is the perfect, the majority of you I'm sure were here for the last talk, Gabba Gabba Gabba. It's like the perfect talk to have before this talk because it lines us up for where we're going with the next medication, but you'll see. So clonidine, I, I mean lofexidine, I, I mean tizanidine. 
we're, nothing too new here, uh, especially, um, you know, thinking even the intrathecal routes, but we'll pretty much concentrate on the oral or the ambulatory usage uh, here today. A lot of times, uh, just like with illicit substances, comes under the, the mechanism. How's this stuff actually working? So in the mechanisms, the best thing I could find was this simplistic, if you will, little picture on the left, just talking about you got two neurons, presynaptic, postsynaptic, and there's alpha receptors at each. So of course we have one and two. As highlighted with the bigger arrow, uh, this tizanidine, structurally related to clonidine, is going to block uh, the alpha-2 receptor towards the top there. So it's getting into the weeds here and into the details, but it's just basically affecting norepinephrine in the end. And as I teach many a student pharmacist, if you affect norepinephrine, not only are you going to help or affect things like cardio, uh, psych, depression, anxiety, but also pain. And that's why we have this as a possibility within pain. By this, I mean clonidine. Now we have tizanidine, since if you notice on here, as I highlighted with the yellow, it's pretty darn close in the structure. Again, not harping on structures, but it's pretty close in the structure. And I get it. Trust me, I know. If you had a methyl group, you could have the difference between coffee and cocaine. Not really, but relatively. So, yes, it's different. But, you know, receptors aren't all that uh, worried about these things. They're going to take them just the same. And this is very commonly used, as many of you know, uh, within pain management as well, too. But here we're talking to xanidine. I'm trying to mask it all with clonidine, of course, along the way. As far as a couple things just uh, providing here as well, that's actually one of the, the first ads or things that were out there for the product when it came, first came to market, Xanaflex, of course. Uh, for your reading enjoyment on the plane later today or tomorrow, you could even look up a case that was a little bit more relevant. Not enough time here today to go into things, but uh, involving the brand, the generic, the utilization of these things, of course. But what do, you, what do we need to know as far as the medications? Uh, of course... Interactions and side effects comes up, we keep it basic. Uh, as far as side effects, um, hypotension. It, it's, you're thinking tizanidine like clonidine. So, of course, uh, just like if there was uh, anything with opioid withdrawal treatment or whatever, it's still the same type of thing there. Uh, this thing is going to affect the central nervous system. So, of course, some weakness, tiredness. A uh, little pearl here for you, though. Tizanidine relative to baclofen, our, our next target. Uh, Tizanidine is going to have uh, more sedation. Easiest way around that is, you guessed it, dose it at bedtime. Typically, none of that jet lag effect in the morning if you do that as well. Uh, so that's where you could get more bang for your buck there just on the timing of the dose. And, of course, watch uh, liver function test as well. It's common for many medicines. The other little pearl, though, as far as products go, down towards the bottom left here, uh, as far as the capsule products, if the capsule is taken with food, that's going to decrease the concentration from the decreased absorption. Whereas, if the tablet's taken with food, it's going to increase the concentration and absorption. I find that is something that could be actually helpful, because especially if you're writing a script and then you're not thinking about what the ultimate product is in the end, it's another reason to be very specific when typing up the electronic script or the paper as well, and then for the dispensers in the room, what to tell our patients. Uh, that, you know, there's always two or three things. The silliest thing is, do you have any questions? You know, when I, when I go in for my oil change and the guy comes out, any questions, sir? Can I ride home and how much? <laughs> I don't know what to ask. 
Uh, so, but we always, we hopefully always ask, do you have any questions as compared to um, other experiences? But that's a, a little uh, getting into the weeds there, the specifics as, as well for the products, but it could certainly affect whether the thing's going to work or give those side effects for our patients. Speaking of the uh, other side of side effects, we have interactions. We've got some actual major ones here. Uh, th there's a lot of drug interaction checking or screening fatigue amongst all of our professions. And we'll go into it a little bit later, but it's because whether we're looking something up proactively in databases or if we're using even pharmacy software, if you fill a script, there's an interaction. And then the job is, well, is that one real? Does it really matter for this patient? I'm kind of extrapolating there, but in the big picture, the, the interactions are constantly. These are ones that I would deem to actually matter, and especially since a lot of these muscle relaxants in observation utilization are around the clock every day all the time, which I would say is not necessarily always appropriate. We'll get there. But what if somebody then gets a UTI, takes Cipro? That's a big interaction there that might really affect their life, and especially if it's on a Friday night and you got the weekend, and I'm not even saying in Vegas, back home. That could really change one's life. So that's a, that's a big one that if it pops up on the screen, whatever the color is, however times it blinks, that, that demands action, in my opinion, uh, with those, especially the major ones. That uh, fluvoxamine you won't see as much, but Cipro, it's one of those random ones that's going to come into somebody's life. Uh, more of the chronic uh, version utilization would be the ACE and ARBs. Of course, if they're affecting uh, blood pressure, then you're going to be concerned with something that is very similar to clonidine uh, for that hypotensive effect as well. And I actually showed just a screenshot uh, of one of the databases showing the interaction there. Of, it's basically saying to uh, monitor or even modify the treatment based on that. So, baclofen. Let's just take a time warp to the last presentation. Um, Doctors Brooks and Kamenik do a wonderful job going over GABA, GABA, GABA. Uh, and one of the things they didn't have enough time to really talk about is that baclofen is basically GABA as well. And this, again, is where we're on that island of misfit medications. Dare I say in 2018, fake news. <laughs> this is GABA. Uh, hopefully you can see, again, in some of the structures here, if... Uh, you just say, what the heck is going on with GABA? Then you get gabapentin. And pregabalin and baclofen, if you notice, sorry for those over there, but on the right in the structure, very similar to everything else within GABA uh, with adding the, the chloride and hex as well, or benz. So basically, it's a structural analog to GABA. But again, as the, as the previous speakers had talked about, that doesn't tell you in the end the exact mechanism uh, because we're, there's a lot of confusion out there. First, there's the GABA receptors, and then there's the chloride channel. I will harp on and concentrate on the chloride channel, uh, as you see here. Now, this is where I stand up and say that, uh, you know, we have a lot of issues with the gabapentinoids in our country right now. I'm from West Virginia. be doing a talk about it later on. And we, we as an update, as of June, have also made gabapentin a C5, and pregabalin was already a C5, of course. And there's a lot more monitoring with it. I, maybe it's cynical. I don't know. But as a pharmacist, my answer is, duh. I, I don't know how we didn't see that one coming. And the reason for my craziness and what I'm saying is right here in this picture for the chloride channel. Take a look at what works on the chloride channel. Alcohol, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, and this GABA stuff. How did we not see that coming? 
And on top of that, it was originally, and I'm not hating on GABA here, by the way. <laughs> you, they were on that original tool belt. But yeah, how do we not see that coming? And then it's originally approved and utilized for seizures. Uh, my, my brother-in-law actually had a seizure once. They put him on random medication and told him, you can't drive anymore. Yeah, because that doesn't change your life. I, I, I mean, and this stuff works, with the, had the same indication. So he can't drive, yet we're, we're 91,000 milligrams a day for some people on the misuse-abuse side. I, I'm just trying to get you thinking <laughs> of, like, how did, how, of course there's going to be issues with it when it's not used appropriately. Of course there's an opportunity to use it appropriately and help a lot of our patients, of course, too. So baclofen's right in there with that. Again, keeping the overall theme here, we're the, on the island of misfit medications. Uh, and, uh, originally was designed to treat epilepsy. Sound familiar to the previous story? It's also being studied for alcohol use disorder. Pardon my French, but again, duh, because alcohol works on the same channel. It, it, it's nothing new there. So thankfully we're getting that here. That's one of the beauty, beautiful things at Pain Week is that it, sometimes we get challenged. I'm always in the audience. Um, there's a big nerd in me. Uh, to just stop and think. Because when we're back home with our Monday morning, it's going to be rough again. It's like the, after the holiday, the basically first of the month, but not a yay. It's going to be really tough to bring the stuff back into your mind is what I'm saying. But, you know, thinking uh, baclofen, GABA, that BAC almost looks like BAG, but it's not. Maybe that'll help you along the way. So side effects. Well, we already went over the whole GABA idea, so basically everything that's uh, making you think about that. Uh, the, the muscle tone issues are going to be uh, a little bit more so than the previous one went over tizanidine. Big thing here, and again, this, this think back to, again, that chloride channel picture. Abrupt discontinuation is going to give, you, give the person withdrawal symptoms. They're going to be benzo-like. Thinking of that chloride channel, isn't it obvious, of course. Um, just try to make it so, especially for the, like myself, the picture learners, you can remember this stuff. Uh, as far as the products that are out there, not that much really, but uh, generic only when it comes to PO. So, that's pretty much the wrap-up for the left side, the stiffness side, if you're thinking diagnosis-wise, of course. Let, let's have some more fun and get into the, uh, the, uh, the real island of misfits, if you will. Oh, Soma. <laughs> you got an hour? Banned in Europe. Do I need to say anything else? Carizoprodol, banned in Europe. What do we do in our country? We make it a controlled substance. Did I mention banned in Europe? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. We're getting there, I guess. Uh, that being said, though, we did make this as a, as, well, DEA made this a controlled substance. Out of this misfit medication island, this is the only one that's a controlled substance. Yet, mechanism of action all over the place. So, um, to not keep it, uh, interesting, this was actually the press release just providing here that said, yep, no more in Europe. Um, but mechanism of action really GABA-related, but a little bit further. And I, I would say that the important thing here, and I'm sure that many of you already know this, actually, so. Uh, metabolite, the active metabolite, is basically a barbiturate, um, a probamate, and that's the issue. So let's, I, I will try to stop picking on carizoprodol, but I will pick on its active metabolite. That's where the issue comes in. That's why Europe said, no, no, no. That's why the DEA said, well, we'll crack the whip again. Um, that's pretty much what you want to remember there. Uh, big picture things, you know, the two, the two three takeaway points for any medication. It's a, this is the controlled substance, muscle relaxant, 
the whole no-no in Europe, and it's because of the metabolite. That's all I would ask of anybody when, you know, in, in all reality. I waited for the flash for you. <laughs> now, where are we at? We're good. Cyclobenzaprine. Um, how many people, on average, observe, not your own practices, but observe uh, treatment plans utilizing 180 tablets of cyclobenzaprine, whatever the dose, three times a day. So 180 tablets for 90 days as compared to 14 tablets for 90 days. So the, the, the bigger utilization, all right, couples there, all right. Uh, typically, at least in my observations, it, it's utilized all the time. When someone starts utilizing this, it's, it's, it never goes away. What's some of the, the issues behind that? Well, first and foremost is structure stuff. Tiny little bond here. Yank off two H, H's to make a double bond, and you have the same thing as amitriptyline. So is this a TCA? Well, the market might have said so if that had worked out, but turns out it worked better as a muscle relaxing because we can't figure out what to do with the thing. Um, definitely makes you tired. Personal experience, one point. Legally prescribed, side note. Uh, things been around for a, a long time. But it was uh, approved all the way back in the 70s for acute muscle spasms. And I don't know about you, but I see this observationally utilized forever. <laughs> if you're getting on the thing, you're on the thing. And that's where I really, uh, the slide that has the boxes for distinguishing the stiffness from the spasms, up at the top there, what I purposely didn't highlight yet, was the whole, you know, bad days happen. If, if it's me, I'll pick on me instead of any of you. If this is being prescribed, then you have a bad day, and the side effect is tiredness. Well, if I'm having a bad day, I'm not going to work anyway, hopefully. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be home, and if the thing makes me tired and bedridden, that might be okay. As long as the wife's got the kid, that might be okay. So, you know, prescribing this thing in perpetual time might be okay because I might have a bad day. But would you prescribe me, dispense me, give me, talk to me about 14 tablets for three months for the bad days or 180 for three months because I'm just going to keep using it? And on top of that, if, you, if I'm utilizing it twice a day, two, three, three times a day, whatever, every day, what do I do on the bad day? Now I've got nothing. You're not helping me. And that's some of the tricky parts there. I know uh, many of you are ingredients, of course. but And, you know, the package insert has way too much information in it for just about every medication known to man. Uh, but one thing I would point out that it's, uh, should, it says right in it, it should only be used for short periods, two to three weeks. Yet that's not what we normally see. Uh, for amitriptyline, I mean cyclobenzaprine. So, side effects as far as uh, good old cyclobenzaprine, this um, serotonin syndrome, one of the biggest concerns as far as drug interactions and side effects known to man. Docs that I work with, they just want to slap me around because all of my, my peeps in my profession keep calling them, saying, what about serotonin syndrome? Oh. It, it, like, rarely ever happens. That being said, if it happens to me, I'd appreciate if you told me about the possibility. So, what do we do? Patient, whoever you are, Betty will say, Betty, if the day comes when you feel like you have the flu, call one of us. At, call one of us. Don't wait. If it's Friday, don't wait till Monday. If you're like me, you're going to wait till Wednesday. Don't be like me. <laughs> call that first day. That's it. That's all you got to do. In my opinion, by the way, I think I'm supposed to say that since it's recorded. But 
you know, just to get around that, because that's many of the symptoms, basically, just not feeling all that good. Uh, as far as metabolism's up there, of course, can interact with a, a couple there. And we do have our plethora, since it's utilized now. Uh, we even have the extended release version. Um, kind of debates there on that whole, what about acute use? If it's ER, is that leading towards chronic? I'll let your minds wander. If you've been in any of my talks, I seem to apparently be a pisser. I'm talking about urine drug screenings all the time. Um, so as far as the structures, we already went over amitriptyline, cyclobenzaprine, basically brother or sister. Then you also have carbamazepine looking the same up there. Uh, Ciproheptadine as well, too. Uh, of course, there's differences here, but there's that same tricyclic group up at the top. So how I'm relating it to the P cup is basically that that could actually be you know, false positives, if you will, uh, for these medicines. In case you're doing any of the screenings, um, not going to get you too far. The testing is a totally different thing, but really emphasizing the, the similarities there. So, orphenadrine. What do you get when you take diphenhydramine and add a methyl group? Orphenadrine. And that, I'm not saying it in a negative way, in case I sound like I'm harping on all these medicines. It's not. It's, it's just, you know, talking about what they actually are. Uh, and this, the island of misfit medicines here, we have basically Benadryl. With a methyl group, on a little bit of a history of this particular compound, uh, the original intentions were thinking, because again, we're on an island here, we don't know what this thing is actually going to do, uh, thinking for Parkinson's overall, yet then we end up as a muscle relaxant. And it's a similar story for many other medicines too. Um, as far as the mechanisms of action, you see them listed here. If you've got to remember something, we're thinking diphenhydramine. So, oh, Canada. <laughs> Picked on Europe earlier, but... Uh, since it's diphenhydramine with a methyl group, Canada, our neighbors to the north, said, eh, it's over the counter. What do we do? It's not over the counter. Are we wrong? I don't know about that. Uh, as far as the, the side effects, anything notable there, of course, if you're affecting anticholinergic side, antihistamines, pretty obvious there, of course. But um, the idea here is that there may be a little bit more of a concern relative dosage-wise than... Um, than diphenhydramine, if you will. I find it interesting that they made me cover up the name on that one, but the ones that are coming up, they didn't. I don't know where we're going there. <laughs> You'll see. But anyways, orphenadrine, diphenhydramine. Methacardamol. The reason that's blue, actually, we'll get there. Here uh, it gets a little bit complicated. You may have heard previously about this being a carbamate derivative of guafenicin. It's also a structural, more, I would say more importantly, a structural analog of mefenicin. What in the world is that, you're asking? Well, of course, we have it up here. Um, that, that's actually an antidote for strychnine poisoning. How did you get on my island of misfit medications? Good golly. Faces in the back, I love it. Um, this was basically used, you know that whole mepropamate thing talked about earlier? A again, it's coming up again. This was originally utilized to try and get to that product. You know, I was harping on it earlier. Go figure. Uh, and that meprobamate was the first blockbuster at the time psychotropic medication. And blockbuster medicine, um, dollar amounts change over time because dollar is just not what it used to be and whatnot. Uh, but this would have a very, very narrow therapeutic index, if you will. So the wiggle room on dosing is important there. For the mefenicin, that is. Not necessarily on the methacarbamol, but it's structurally related to that, and that's where I'm going with this. Um, overall for that. So again, O Canada. Methacarbamol, 
would you say it would qualify for over-the-counter? If your answer is no, like his, well, then we're, you, you're not moving to Canada. And not only is it over-the-counter, but boy, do we have selections. Add some ibuprofen, we got a platinum. Add some acetaminophen, we got the set. And add aspirin, we got axes all, if you will. Uh, four different options there. Here's where I said, hey, they let me keep the name on that one. But <laughs> it's over-the-counter, not that far away. Imagine if you practice, some of you might, right near the border. You're going to have people, you know, you're going to be like, oh, this interacts or whatever. Drive over the border, tell them you don't have guns, and there you go, and you get them out the carbon mall. It's very easy. That's not even using the internet, by the way. Um, you know, I talked about the, the banned in Europe, uh, Protocol thing earlier. Maybe that's an instance where actually the rest of the world is getting stuff from us over that dark web internet thing or whatever, since they can't get it, but, you know, we could. So, anyway, with Methocarbamol, if you thought the whole Canada thing was interesting, uh, what I omitted here was actually... Uh, the, the, the green beer, where, where am I going with that? Uh, the, these <laughs> so, me metabolism-wise, uh, this does not produce that guafenacine, not that that would be all that big of a concern. Anyway, it's just the structural comparison. I, what I'm just saying here is that it's not like that's even involved in the medication altogether. It's just a structural relationship. Blah, blah, blah for the rest there. But as far as notable side effects... Now, I am not saying that if any one of us takes methocarbamol that you're going to, you know, be urinating like if it's St. Patty's Day here or something. But this is one of those rare side effects for the, the darker urine, the green urine even. But number one, if I am the one patient where that happens to, if I start peeing green and you didn't tell me, that relationship thing ain't going to work out at all. Um, but... Where I would say, and this is what I usually talk about, especially with professional students, the whole point of consultation, not the St. Patty's Day part, you thought I was going to, <laughs> but the whole part of starting a conversation with a patient is not necessarily do you have any questions or whatever. Tell them, hey, this might turn your urine green. You got my attention. If the car guy says, hey, that if you turn left, your wheel might fall off, you got my attention. <laughs> Turns out I might actually come up with more questions to ask you. We're going to have a great conversation. Our relationship's going to be like a carboxylic bond. It's going to be great. So, yes, this is rare. Yes, it's probably not going to happen. But what I would emphasize is open the door with your conversations with this. So, just a thought. Literally could go on and on when it comes to the urine stuff, apparently. But uh, just as a random review, since we're harping on the urine color side effect, of course, urine is typically the your, your light yellow to golden color, and that's because of bilirubin. Just calibrating for this next reference for you. Monstrosity of a slide, of course. Uh, but the overall idea here, you know, we already talked about the methocarbamol having the darker, if you will, urine color possible side effect. Um, but then there's also the chlorzoxazone or chlorzoaxone. I've heard it all as far as pronunciations. The two big ones when it comes to muscle relaxers to start a conversation is methocarbamol with the St. Patty's Day beer and then this with Barney or Elmo holding a glass of orange juice. As far as the what color, trying to make it so we could all remember, present self included, by the way, uh, as far as that rare but possible side effect. If, by chance, I start urinating purple and you didn't tell me, <laughs> not only is the relationship out the door, but you better hope I don't have a JD. Um, it, it, it's, 
again, they're funny. It's rare. I'm not saying that uh, you know this is going to happen by any means to everybody. The whole point of me telling you this is to start those conversations. Monday morning is going to be crazy for you because, well, you're a working human being. How better could it be if you have a patient and you talk about this with them? Just make your Monday better, Tuesday as well. Uh, I, I had an, an interesting occurrence with a uh, student pharmacist one time and teaching him this. He came running into our site the next day. That morning, he's like, Dr. Rofley, Dr. Rofley, you won't believe it. What happened last night? And I'm like, I'm expecting amazingness. And he's like, a patient came in, and they had a prescription for that. And I told them about the purple urine, and they were amazed. <laughs> and I look at him like, okay, you didn't win the lottery. You're still going to come to rotation. You're going to get your PharmD. This is great, but like, I think you missed the boat. That's all you did? You just told them Barney, purple? That's all you did? And, he, and, and it, the sulking started. <laughs> like, and no, that was supposed to start a conversation, not end a conversation. Oh, these kiddos, I tell you. But um, wonderful pharmacist now, by the way. And hopefully that impacted him, not just with this one medicine that he'll hardly ever see, but just for any other conversation for medicines as well. So... Uh, notable drug interactions for this muscle relaxant. I only point out because there's a lot of them are pain medications. Now, these aren't the through-the-roof ones that say this is going to blink your screen like no other, but I'm just pointing out because, obviously, we'd probably be utilizing this with pain medication. So something to keep in mind. That particular uh, review or article, if you will, random site, actually, but it's, it's the reason I point that out is it's, I believe, intended for the lay public. So they're starting to get this info, and what if you don't talk to them about it? Uh, and of course, side effects we already went over with the purple urine. Metaxalone. Uh, we're, we're cranking through here, of course, but not, not that much with this particular one. So if I'm picking on these medications, I don't have much to pick on with this. But what I would tell you is uh, this one, the kinetics kind of come down to the fat or lipid types here. So high-fat meals, that's one thing to concentrate on, are going to increase the bioavailability an area in the curve, yada, yada, fancy way of saying you're going to get more effect, if you will, or side effects. Um, that also could be the case, don't kill me, but in the stereotypical difference between male and female, as we're learning, that could affect females more as well, too, just by body composition. One thing I would mention to you, since I don't have all that much to talk about for this one, just watch for the confusion, especially in our new electronic systems, when you just kind of go down one and you're either getting Prozac or Viagra. I've literally seen it happen. Um, <laughs> You know, with the electronics, we'll have less, inner, less errors, but when they happen, hey, uh, just watch out for the confusion with the diuretic as well. So that's kind of the individual products in a nutshell, but let's get to those dreaded interactions that I've been showing yet alluding to. Uh, as far as the, uh, all the sedatives together, of course, they make you tired. Some of you have already seen this slide of just names I've either heard of or made up. You know, we've heard of the deadly duo opioids and alprazolam, the, I would call it, unholy trinity of adding on a muscle relaxant, and the quattro killer if you even throw in one of the uh, sedative hypnotics, uh, Zolpidem, and so on. To me, though, here's the problem for us as healthcare professionals. Uh, many of us flew here. Uh, you go through TSA, and then you, you, that one it happened to me one time in life. I'm that guy. I had the wine bottle opener. <laughs> Sir, do you have any devices in there that you might just like take a plane down or kill somebody? Absolutely not, of course not. I'm, I'm, well, then what's this? <laughs> and, you know, I'm like five foot eight. What am I going to do with that thing? <laughs> but it shouldn't be on the plane. I'm wrong in that instance. But what if that happened to everybody? 
It, you know, that's, the, that's what I would say is this issue with drug interaction screening. Every single person has a wine bottle opener, and we're either getting hammered on the plane or we're doing something bad. Or we're just going to pain week, and there's nothing wrong. Um, so let's take a look at, very briefly here, if you screen for the quattro killer, as I would call it, opioid, benzo, muscle relaxant, and a sedative hypnotic, what do these four databases tell you? They're all different. And that's concerning, because those four medications, in my professional opinion, it's very hard to think of a time that they should be utilized together. Very hard. First one here with uh, Micromedics actually flags it as a major interaction. I would point to not contraindicated, but major interaction. Next up we have LexiComp, and what they're basically saying here is consider therapy modification. Good golly. <laughs> Somebody just said it's a major thing. You know what a judge says to major? <laughs> Guilty. Hey, consider it, I don't know, you sound like a marijuana dispensary. <laughs> anyway, clinical pharmacology, uh, very heavily used, of course, again, saying major. The list goes on, actually, because, again, there's four medicines, so you've got this one with this one and this one with that one, so some are major, some are moderate. We're good. What about facts and comparisons? And I'll, I'll, I'll leave with this one here. Potentially severe or life-threatening reaction. Now, they say potentially, you might kill somebody with this, and another one on our screen, if we click the other button, says, hey, consider you know, changing that up there, Chico. <laughs> and this is what we're left with. And it's patients' lives at stake. What, what are we doing? I, you know, and uh, kind of harping on that in the lay public, if you will, I'm sure many of you have heard of the big Chicago detective investigation where they went around to pharmacies with prescriptions. Don't worry about the details. They did it legally somehow. Uh, with drugs that interacted, and they were, like, never caught. And that's, that's really like a, a gut check to my profession as pharmacists. But what's the reasoning for it? Right there. Going backwards. When we're looking things up, and, and all healthcare professionals are rather busy in the day, we want to help everybody, but do we have the tools to do it at our best? You know, a patient comes in with those four medications, I'm suspecting you might spend an extra 30 seconds with them. But, you know, that, that's what the public is hearing. And I did a talk two weeks ago about uh, the perception of pharmacists and the Gallup, actually all healthcare professionals, Gallup polls, they still trust us like no other. But then there's these. You know, we're like top, oh, most healthcare professionals are top five in the Gallup poll for most trusted professions overall. I believe lawyers and car, car salesmen are at the bottom, if I remember the slide correctly. Hey, just, that's facts. Anyway, th this was a, a big hit to the profession overall that got national attention. But what's some thinking behind it? So... Muscle relaxants overall, uh, last uh, people talked about blue light, which I tend to love to check out every now and then. This was actually addictionsurvivors.org. And to wrap it up into what I've highlighted here, uh, this sunflower, I believe the name was, uh, talked about having ear pain. And the uh, diagnostician and, and treatment center basically said, all right, well, we'll give you a muscle relaxant for that. And then this Deanna, apparently in Infinite Wisdom, said, oh, and by the way, she got addicted to it just because she had ear pain from lockjaw. And this Deanna, on a random, weird, random blog, said, you know what, you could have just used a night guard. Because TMJ, the whole thing, you didn't need a muscle relaxant. Don't worry about your urine color. Chocolate. Love this stuff. All substances are poisons. There is none which is not a poison. The right dose differentiates poison from a remedy. 
comes on to the dose all the time. And on top of the dose, I would say the dosage. That's that whole one or two dozen tablets, capsules of a muscle relaxant over two, three months as compared to the hundreds that we see all the time. So choose wisely, my friends. Hopefully some of these points are, are anecdotal, of course, too, but hopefully you could apply them to your practice, even something as preposterous as peeing purple. <laughs> it's conversation starters in the end. So we all, of course, have to have the quick cases and whatnot. I'm actually going to read this verbatim because this... Th we're good. Um, not a fire. <laughs> um, it, it's happened in past years. Anyway, uh, this case is really, really hits home with me. So Thomas Payne, T. Payne's a 30-year-old male pharmacist, presents this morning to an urgent care clinic with a chief complaint of really extreme lower back pain. Turns out he was working the previous day a 14-hour shift at a local community pharmacy, and right before his shift, he bent over with proper posture, if you're looking at me, bending at the knees, to pick up Pepsi because the Pepsi rep left it at the door instead of down the hallway. Back cracked at that moment, worst pain he's ever had in his life. Almost tears. Typically, they cry when uh, someone's born or die, and that was close that day. I proceeded, ever so intelligently, to work the 14-hour shift, and then you would not want me as your pharmacist that day. Went to urgent care the next day to a very prominent organization, internationally known, at the urgent care center. Which one should they have given me? I heard just about everybody there. Turns out I got cyclobenzaprine 10. I cut it in half, took it. I was already home, so it was a bad day. Called my now wife, and she reported to me later on that I couldn't even tell her my name. We're still married. She's still a great pharmacist. She would not have recommended that I got that prescription. And that pretty much is why I wanted to do this talk here today, is to prevent what happened to me happening to others in the future. Uh, turns out my back was stiff. So we should have been going with that one. So same person, T-Pain, or I guess me, uh, if they were given methacarbamol, they would know that their urine would be colored a dark color, black, right? So which of these, as far as the sedative interactions, uh, would be prominent, basically? Of course, all the above. And what I would leave you with, <laughs> what do you call a cow with a twitch? Beef jerky. <laughs> it's like the easiest question you had all week. <laughs> That's all we got, folks, and I really thank you for your time.